everyone. Welcome to Edinburgh Film Podcast, episode 20. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Pasquale Iannone, who I'd like to thank for being on the podcast in the first place, but also for being an extremely generous and fun guest, as you'll hear yourself in a minute. Pasquale, David and I discussed best films of 2018, how we rate films and what made it into the top of our lists. Hope you enjoy. So welcome both David and Pasquale. We have Pasquale here today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Uh, My name is Pasquale Anoni. I'm a teaching fellow in film studies here. Uh, I've been doing this particular job for three years now, Uh, but I work across the uni, so I do some work at ECA and at CALL, the Centre for Open Learning as well. Uh, Mostly film, uh, but also some journalism courses and music courses and literature. But specialty is is film. Uh, but I'm an Edinburgh lad, so I've, <laughs> this is my alma mater as well. I mm. uh, did my undergrad here uh, in Italian and then MSc in Film Studies. Uh, well, it was European Film Studies mm. back then, mm. uh, where we had uh, the great John Orr and Professor Scheunemann as well, uh, as well as uh, Professor Martin Bernier. And then I went on to do my PhD here, which was I mean, the thesis was Childhood and the Second World War in the European fiction film. So I looked at films from the immediate post-war period, like Rossellini and René Clément, right up to Come and See, the Alain Clément film, uh, in 1985. Uh, so graduated in 2010. Uh, and I've been, yeah, so, but, but technically I've been teaching here since 2005. Uh, so... Um, and you do yes. quite a lot of work with BBC Scotland as well. Don't you? Yeah, so that's another element of. I mean, I've always been. A, I've always loved radio, and I've been in radio for a, quite a while. I think since two thousand and two. So I started out in hospital radio. A big shout out to Mayfield Hospital Radio, and then uh, community radio. So uh, Leith FM, then the student radio here, Fresh Air FM, uh, and then I think it, it was two thousand and eight where I got my first. Uh, gig at the BBC, I think it was a it was a short feature on, um, it was either Bicycle Thieves or Enya Morricone, one of the two. Sounds like something I would do, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it was one of those two. Uh, and since then, uh, it's mostly been Radio Scotland, uh, but also I've done some stuff for um, the film programme on Radio 4. Uh, once, I think, I did n- Night Waves on Radio 3 and the World Service once as well, but mostly it's been Radio Scotland, Radio Scotland. Uh, they have, they've got an afternoon show, a weekday afternoon show, which has changed over the years. Uh, it started out as the, uh, there was a dedicated film program on the Thursday called the Movie Cafe, uh, and that was good, 45 minutes. And uh, I presented, guest presented that a couple of times, which was fun, <laughs> which was fun. Uh, we had, when I presented, I had, I interviewed the guy who, uh, who ran trauma films, you know, Lloyd Kaufman, Lloyd Kaufman, who was quite a character, uh, Michael Fassbender, <gasps> around the time of um, Inglorious, Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. uh, where he was, I mean, he was known, but he wasn't uh, really well known. This is coming off the back of Hunger, 2008, mm-hmm. and then uh, Inglorious Bastards. Who else did I interview? Oh yeah, uh, Dolph Lundgren. Very oh, random, very random <laughs> bunch of film people. Uh, he was doing one of the Expendables. It was maybe Expendables 2 or something like that. 
Uh, and she was, yeah, it's a good, good interview. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've written for Sight and Sound quite a lot over the years as well. Yes, I have. So I started writing for Sight and Sound in, I think, 2008, 2009, something like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, fairly regular contributor. I've written on, mostly on Italian cinema. Uh, I think last year I did pieces on reviews of Sophia Loren movies. Mm. I interviewed... Italian filmmakers Antonio, Antonio Piazza and Fabio Grassadonia, whose film Sicilian Ghost Story is, is in my films of the year, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, but yes, yes, I've been uh, contributing to Science Sound for, for a wee while. So. How did you get into it? Did you, just, did you just send them an article and they were like, we want you? Uh, no, just pitching, just pitching. And this is why I, t- I tell my journalism students, it's like, never stop pitching. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so yes, it was just, um, yeah, and I think the first, I can't remember the first article, was it, I think it was on Death Watch, the film, the Bertrand Tavernier sci-fi mm. film, mm. Uh, which was shot in Glasgow, <laughs> again, very, very random, uh, and I, that was an interview with Tavernier, uh, so I interviewed him over the phone, uh, and he was great, I mean, really, really knowledgeable, a real cinephile director. Uh, a bit like Scorsese, that, that type. You know, he worked with Jean-Pierre Melville, he was his assistant back in the day, and, uh, and a terrific director uh, in his own right. Uh, so I'd recommend if, if people haven't seen Death Watch, I don't think Glasgow has ever been portrayed on film quite like this. Late 70s Glasgow. Obviously it's changed a lot. Sounds like a good double bill with Under the Skin. Indeed, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would work really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Harvey Keitel, Romy Schneider as well. It's oh, wow. weird seeing Romy Schneider. Must be one of her last roles. Uh, yes, a le- yeah, a, a later role. I'm trying to think when she, she passed away. It was early 80s, I think. 78, I think. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, so it must have been. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... In terms of 2018, which we want to talk about today, do you think it was a good year in terms of films and what came out? Uh, in terms of the films that I that I saw, and I was just saying this, the great thing uh, doing the show for for Radio Scotland is that you get to see a lot of films that otherwise you wouldn't you wouldn't see. Uh, and uh, I mean, I haven't seen a, a couple of the big hitters. So, for instance, things like Roma and Star is Born. I mean, I, I need to see those. Uh, but in terms of the, the overall, the percentage, has been quite good, it's been quite high. And it's some really interesting works. Uh, and I think, um, especially in, in my area, kind of European cinema, there have been some uh, really interesting new voices as well coming through. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's really strange, because I was looking over the list of films I saw in 2018, and just a very small percentage of those are... Um, ones released in 2018 in the UK, so out of, I think it was out of 240 films, I'd seen 30 films from 2018. So when I try and rank, well, what were the good films I saw? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. some, something from 1948 is number one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I, th- I saw a whole bunch of rubbish and <laughs> some, some good things. So no, I was saying, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, I mean, probably... <laughs> Rubbish is probably strong again, but it certainly wasn't, it wasn't good. I mean, what was it called? Uh, oh, it's a very long, unwieldy title. Uh, the Guernsey Literary oh, yeah. and Potato oh, Peel Pie I just Society. That. Yeah. I wanted yeah. it to be great. Yeah. But... yeah. No, it wasn't particularly good. No, no. Very good. Very good. I, I know that the, 
but I suppose it's hard to tell what market they're they're going for. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like that they've kind of invented that um, marigold hotel market. Indeed, the kind of indeed, the yeah. educated pensioner market. Yes, yes, that's the correct <laughs> way of thinking about it. Because two films came. It was that the Guernsey Potato Peel and Literary Society, uh -huh, whatever uh -huh. it's called, and then a film called The Bookshop. Oh yes, which looks identical, but I think it's a slightly better film and mm. had less mm -hmm. um, less kind of press, but I, I, I sort of enjoyed that more, although in my mind now they seem to be exactly the same film. <laughs> kind of. I feel like there's always at least one film like that that comes out every year and it's this sort of like British stamp on it, you know, yeah. this is a British film. Yeah. But it looks the same, it's got the same aesthetic. Yeah. Which is not, I, I suppose if you're into it, then... Great, yeah, I suppose it was a kind of a very gentle version of Dunkirk. Really. <laughs> gentle yeah. version, yes. Indeed, indeed. More time to read mm. than, than Dunkirk. <laughs> what about you, Kat? How was your year for 2018? Well, I was just saying before we started recording that I haven't actually seen anything in 2018, I realised, so I had to <laughs> watch some stuff last week to catch up. Um, I don't know what I was doing last year, but clearly I wasn't watching films. You know, one of these people is just TV. <laughs> Probably. I, I, I re-watch quite a lot of stuff as well, I find, so I'm, I'm yeah. very funny about starting new things. Um, and I was even doing my master's, so I really don't know how that happened. <laughs> but I just didn't go to the cinema as much. But I have a few good ones that I thought that were really good. Mm -hmm. um, but before we do the top fives, was there anything that you were really looking forward to that you knew was going to be released, whether that's a massive blockbuster or anything small from your favourite director? For 2018? Yes. Mm -hmm. In terms of a... a a big blockbuster. I was quite impressed by the Mission Impossible film. I mean, I think I know a lot of people talked about this, and and uh, there was a lot of hype about it, saying it's the best action movie in years. And I think it lived up to to expectations. I mean, I suppose it is one of those that that it makes a massive difference how you see it, mm. uh, and seeing it in in IMAX uh, in this giant giant screen. I think it, it worked really well. Some really spectacular set pieces, and Chris McQuarrie is a, uh, is a terrific action uh, filmmaker. He's developed into a real great uh, action filmmaker after being a screenwriter for, for mm. a long time. Uh, so I thought that was, that was a terrific action film, mm. a real popcorn movie. Mm. Mm. Well, the one that I was looking forward to was Yorgos Lanthimos's The Favourite, mm. yes. which I suppose was a crossover yeah. between Art House and blockbuster, well, blockbuster in art house terms, <laughs> i.e. 28 instead yeah. of 20 people went to see it. Um, but, you know, because Lanthimos has been someone that I've been interested in, and I think a lot of people have yeah. been interested in for a while, and I particularly liked Killing of a Sacred Deer from a couple of years ago, which I thought was one of his strongest films. Mm -hmm. And then, so the favourite, which has got a lot of press at the moment... Um, because it was released just on New Year's Day. I think I saw it. I think it was the last film of 2018 that I saw. Yeah, and, uh, and this is actually, I, I reviewed this for the radio as well. It was the last, one of the last films I saw last year, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in a way, there's a bit where, you know, if there's a director you particularly like and that you're interested in their work, and then you're watching a film and you're going, yep, yeah, they're doing that thing that they <laughs> do. Yeah. And that's almost slightly disappointing. Yeah. That it's less of a surprise. It was. It was good. But, but I should we be applying that style to this subject matter? Is mm. 
is quite uh, yeah, and it's a unique, but it's slightly unusual, I would think. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, I know nothing about Queen Anne. Well, no, nothing <laughs> after that. I don't think anybody did. Yeah, as far as I could tell. Um, so that was all quite interesting, and you know, uh, where was it? It wasn't shot at Hampton Court Palace, was it? Oh, I'm not too sure. Uh, it does, that does ring a bell. I think yeah. it may, may well have been. That's just well plucked been. out of yes. my mind. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I th- I th- but in fact, you know, everybody was talking about Olivia Coleman in that film. You know, she's been nominated for everything. And to me, the standout was Emma Stone. Mm. I thought she was actually the most impressive. Yeah. Um, and hardly anybody mentions her. Mm. It's either yeah, Rachel Weisz yeah. or Olivia Coleman. In terms of... Uh, her development, Emma Stone's development. I think it's it's unlike anything she's done before, and you, I think she's really been pushing herself. I think out of the comfort zone, certainly. Uh, I mean, obviously she won the Oscar for was it La La Land she won the Oscar mm, for, exactly. uh, but also a very different film. Uh, but uh, yes, I mean, I think it's. I mean, all three of them. It's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of, they're kind of performances. It's let it all hang out performances, and mm-hmm. uh, and I think you can see why uh, they've got Oscar Oscar attention uh, for me I thought it was I thought it was great I mean again I, I went into it not really knowing that much about, about Queen Anne I'd, I'd seen a few Lanthimos films actually most of them Dogtooth mm. uh, I'd seen uh, Lobster and Killing of a Sacred Deer I'd seen the first uh, one called Kim yeah I've not seen that one yeah no, I've not seen that one yeah and this one I mean the, everyone talks about the, the visual style but I think it is important I mean the style of the film it's so unlike any period movie than you, that you'll have seen. Uh, I mean, the, the use of these extreme wide-angle lenses, the fisheye lenses, this rather punky use of music. I mean, we have the end titles with an Elton John song over the top. Mm. So that's the kind of uh, film, the kind of tone that, that, that the film has. And um, yeah, I thought, I thought it worked really well. I've just done some quick research there and Hampton Court Palace is where the kitchens were shot and then Hatfield House is everything else mm. the big the big sets the the corridors and so on and his one of his first films was Kineta Kineta mm. thank you the internet <laughs> yeah. I was actually what you were saying David about you know nothing was being your favorite director and I was actually at really the moment. At the moment, <laughs> yes. um, no longer. That was five minutes ago. <laughs> um, but I was really excited for Isle of Dogs. Oh yeah. I yeah. Yeah, yeah, was consuming Wes Anderson for a while, um, and I love stop animation. And I went to see it on my own, and I was a bit underwhelmed actually. Um, it was his style all over, but it was kind of as if someone picked it up from his previous film and just put it on like a different story. Right. So and it and it was just kind of monotonous and it didn't really I don't know I I left the cinema not really feeling anything, um, even though it was, it was beautiful because it, all of his films are visually really pleasing. But as as you say, you kind of go oh oh yeah you did the same thing again that's great. But at the same time, I'm not really getting any director development perhaps there. It's just the mm. same thing all over again. Yeah. But I just thought it wasn't pretentious enough. Because <laughs> you know, with Sanderson, you want something really kind of on the edge of, <laughs> oh my God. But uh, yeah, it was kind of... Yeah. He's certainly popular among students. I mean, the amount of essays each year, especially mm. from the uh, art students that we get uh, on Wes Anderson, it's mm. quite something. <laughs> good no, I mean, I, yeah, well, good one. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I am a... I, 
I am a fan. I mean, I think uh, Royal Tenenbaums, I think for me, is still mm. the one that... Uh, yeah. Uh, just the, the the sense of humor in that film and the the central performance by by Gene Hackman, I think is is, is mm. probably one of his one of his best. It's a shame that he's not act. He's semi retired now, isn't he? Mm. Gene Hackman is he retired mm. completely writing he? writing novels now, isn't he? Yeah, hundred and eight. Just following. Yeah. And is there anything that I think we kind of talked about that? But is there something in particular that really disappointed you? You were so excited about, and then you saw it, and you thought this was a nightmare. Mm. I don't know if I, if I felt so strongly about it. <laughs> anything was a real. Dis- I mean, th- those films that were disappointments, you you, you were you kind of knew beforehand. <laughs> you were thinking, mm. Mm, okay, I set my sights quite low. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I mean, there were there were a couple that I sort of thought I would probably not get into and the obvious one is Roma, mm-hmm. the Quiron film, which I could almost tell that I would, because if you look at the reviews and someone like IMDB, of course, you know, the great guru of all reviews, but they're either ten stars or one star. Mm-hmm. And I kind of almost knew immediately I was going to be one of the one star people. Mm. Um, but you know, that's I, I quite like films that are polarizing in that way because in a way I often think what are these people seeing that I'm not? Mm. Um, and I think that's always kind of, for me, really interesting because my own taste is actually irrelevant mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you like various things and you don't like various things. But what is interesting when other people really hate something or really mm. like something, mm. True. Yeah. I suppose I'm more familiar with people hating things <laughs> I like, but, you know, the other way around is, is always interesting. I was wondering what you thought about this, um, I don't know if you can call it resurgence, but this use of black and white, this this good... Mm. Return to monochrome, if you like. There have been a few films. I mean, Cold War is another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uh, was fantastic. That, um, that make use of uh, black and white, mm. and uh, and of course, the Cold War as well as the aspect ratio, wasn't it? Mm. So filming in in in, in academy ratio, and uh, I'm always interested in that. I'm interested in mm. why these directors. Is it simply to evoke a certain period or or what? And I was wondering what. Why you think Roma? I mean, I haven't actually seen Roma yet, mm. shamefully, but uh, I was wondering why you thought he shot it in black and white. I think quite quite on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to see it with Esther, one of the PhD students here, and we thought that every shot looked like a postcard almost. Mm. And I feel like if it wasn't for the black and white, it wouldn't be the same thing. I so I think it very sort of it. It made it more, um, what's the word, not constant, but it was the same across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the word? Uniform. Uniform? Yes, Uniform? thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, for some reason it was just very mm. aesthetically pleasing because it was black and white, and I was saying to Esther as well that I don't think it would work as much if it wasn't in black and white. Mm. Um, cause That's it was, interesting. Yeah, because it was set... In the seventies, I think is that right? Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know. You just have that feeling of that you're watching something in the past, you know. Although of course, films in the seventies were not black and white. <laughs> yeah, of course. But I think I think yeah. because I was just thinking about Cold War and, and Roma. Yeah. I mean, mm. It's almost as if these directors have come to a a certain age themselves in their 
I, th I, th I think Polkowski is now in his early 60s, Coron must be in his 50s or six, mm -hmm. even 60s, I'm not sure. Um, but, so in some sense they're going back to when they were young children, late 60s, 70s, yeah. Yeah. or to their parents' generation, mm -hmm. 50s, as mm -hmm. in, in Cold War. And even though, say, in the 70s, the films wouldn't have looked like Roma, mm -hmm. um, as a boy, he would have probably seen films in black and white, so he's kind of remembering cinema right. as mm. he would right. have seen it in right. the 70s. And I think also no. television was yeah. black and white yeah. in mm. the 60s. No, I'm interested in what you were saying about trying to make a uniform. I mean, this mm. is, I remember this interview with uh, the director, the British director, Shane Meadows, mm. uh, who you'll know from Dead Man's Shoes mm. and Once Upon a Time in the Midlands, and this is England, of course. He did a film called Summer's Town, Mm. Very kind of small, low-key film about just the, the kind of friendship between two two boys in in London, native London, and he shot that in, in black and white. And that was the the idea of keeping it very mm. kind of uniform. And he also he also did another black and white film, I think, with um, Bob Hoskins, a uh, boxing film called Twenty Four Seven. So uh, and I think that was a a similar mm. uh, the the idea behind. Mm using black and white was, was similar in that film as, as well. Mm. And I think uh, there's something about where you say that the director was kind of digging back into his memory so that he could mm. pull out this film. And it did, but you know what I said about the post postcards, it kind of is like a memory, as if yeah. you were watching somebody's memory rolling in front of your yeah. eyes. So, do, do you know actually, sorry to say that, but then there was a, so I did a class research methods the other day and we were talking about uh, so we, I, I, get, I, I get the students to do a, a scene analysis, a group mm -hmm. scene analysis, which you did last year, yeah. if you remember. Um, so I do one just to, as a kind of illustration. And so I, I look at this film, this Italian film called A Special Day, which is from 1977, Marcello Mastroianni, Sofia Loren, and it's, it's directed by Ettore Scola, who's one of the great Italian filmmakers. In English language, you know, Context not particularly well known. I mean, the, the French really really like him, but uh, yeah, I mean, over here maybe it's because he worked he worked a lot in comedy. But this is not a comedy. So this is a story of uh, the, the the friendship between two marginalized people uh, in nineteen thirty eight Rome when Hitler visited uh, the city, and uh, so she plays Sophia Loren plays uh, this very downtrodden housewife. Whereas Mastroianni plays a, a radio announcer who's been sacked uh, because he's gay. Uh, so the, the reason I mention it is, is the fact that that, that Scola, so Scola was born in the early thirties, and this film was this was film sent thirty eight, and he said in an interview that 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 he remember the way he remembers that time was very very grey. There didn't seem to be colour anywhere really. And so if you look at that film, it's not, it's not black and white, but it's shot in this very, very desaturated mm. colour palette. And uh, yeah, it just reminded me of, mm. of that. Because, yeah, so, you know, again, director's memories, that director, mm. director's childhood memories in this, mm. in this case. Well, because that, that reminded me a little bit of, and I, I've just checked, it's, a, it's actually a 2017 film, which when, when it came out in... The States, but I think about in 2018 here, and that's Lady Bird, mm -hmm. mm. the Greta Gerwig yeah. film, which I thought was being criminally overlooked. Mm. Um, so I thought it was, out of all the Oscar contenders from last year, 
that one was yeah. was the strongest, and I was quite surprised it didn't win anything. And again, Greta Gerwig there is kind of imagining or going back into yeah. a more recent past of her of her own, but uh, definitely quite an interesting kind of nostalgia going mm. on for. Um, a fairly recent set of events and so Mm. on and recreating uh, that kind of sense of the past but I find that there's like a new wave of that coming in for some reason there are loads of series that are set back in the day I mean um, there was um, Halt and Catch Fire from a few years back that was set in the 80s about the sort of invention of the internet then we had the the Deuce um, set in New York in the 70s and the sort of porn industry um, just Stranger like, things. Yeah, just yeah. I mean, the eighties nostalgia. I mean, I don't know when it, when it started, but it's yeah. it's still going. Yeah, but there's yeah. lots of those, and it's quite nice actually. And I think that's why I loved Cold War because mm. I did feel like because of the the aspiration they were using because of the black and white. I I did feel like I was watching something from mm-hmm. I don't know fifty mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Um, which is quite nice to see that that this is a completely new film, but really takes you back and and. I thought of Miss Conti when I was watching it, and I thought of mm. Bob when I was watching it, and mm. I thought, this is... So that, the, because, because Paul Wolkowski in, in Cold War is making obvious references mainly to the Czech New Wave films of the early 60s. Right. You see Loves of a Blonde, right. and he almost copies shots and so on um, in, in, in a fantastic sort of way. So it's no surprise that it looks, mm-hmm. reminds you of those, or reminds us of those sorts of films. But I was thinking of that Steven Soderbergh film from a few years ago where... He shot a World War Two film with um, Spider-Man guy with the blue eyes. What's his name? What, Tobey Maguire? Oh. I think so. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to. Did, did any of you, did either of you see this film? And no. it's it's a it's a Second World War film shot. I don't think he could find the cameras that they would have used in the forties okay. to shoot those films, but yeah. shot exactly. In that style right. of the nineteen forties, um, so and I thought that was a really interesting kind of pastiche going back. Mm. Um, uh, he is quite an innovative director in terms of format as well, isn't he? Soderbergh. I mean, he didn't shoot a film on an iPhone. Was it Unseen? I think was the one that was yeah. shot entirely on an, on, a, on an iPhone. Yeah, mm. they, I think so. I yeah. think that was the one shot. Oh. Uh, it's always uh, it's in my contract. Whenever we mention Claire Foy, I have to tell you that she was one of my students. Oh, and I always yeah, remember this. Was it in here though? What was she? No, it was at when I was teaching at Liverpool. John Moores. She was doing a joint drama degree, and ah. I think then it was called a screen studies degree. And that's mm-hmm. why yeah, you have yeah. to bring her. Back in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My big no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Got on um, speed dial, yeah, surely. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, in terms of, because we do, we're doing a lot of, well, not judging, but critiquing, I guess, and mm. reviewing. So, when you do compile your list of top five, top tens, whatever, what are your criteria and what aspects do you look at when you watch a film, and what kind of film kind of makes it for you? I mean, just just for me, the, the 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 criteria is that it has to have been released theatrically in in the UK that year. Mm. Now, obviously, with things like like Roma, that that kind of problematizes that. But it was re- released, if you like, in uh, in in twenty eighteen. Uh, so I think that's the only. And I know, obviously, some people say, "Oh, well, what about TV shows?" I and mean, famously, mm. last year there was this 
well, mild brouhaha about Twin Peaks oh, yeah. uh, being included in the, in the film pool. And, and, and this year, I mean, this year I did enjoy a lot of terrific television, uh, especially Better Call Saul. Uh, I mean, a beautifully shot series and real kind of low-key. I think it's still a, a series that's going under the radar a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, because, just because there's so much out there. Uh, but I didn't include Better Call Saul in, in the list uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just films that were released theatrically mm. uh, in the UK, and um, yeah, even things like, for instance, that, that, that I see at the, at the at film fest, at the Edinburgh Film Festival, for mm. instance. Uh, I've I've tried not to include those. I just you know, mm. it's just something mm. that I do. I know everyone's got different criteria, mm. so I mean, there's no yeah. <laughs> right or wrong. And in terms of what makes it the sort of top five, so in terms of, so for instance, when I'm watching a film and it and, and it does leave me feel very emotional, then I'm like, okay, that was a good film. Mm. Or when something looks very visually pleasing, again, mm. aesthetically, cinematography, things like that, that really makes it go up. Yeah, so, I think so. I feel that lingers with you, I think. I feel yeah. that lingers. I mean, I think for me, one of them, one of those uh, was the Koreda, Hirokazu Koreda film, Shoplifters, mm. uh, which uh, at, at the times, this is a story of a, of a, of a family, kind of real kind of working class family living a kind of hand-to-mouth existence, uh, in Tokyo, I think is it Tokyo? I'm not mm. sure exactly. But, and uh, they they take in this young girl, five six year old girl, uh, who they feel is being neglected by by their neighbor, their, their neighbors, and she becomes part of the family. And it's, once again, it's a really as is typical of of Koreda, who 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 loves focusing in on on family life and especially childhood. Actually, you look at a lot of his films. Uh, really kind of rich, uh, complex portrayal of uh, of childhood. So anyway, that film, Shoplifters, as I was watching it, yes, I mean I was I was reasonably impressed by it. Um, but I think the the, the ending, you know, one of these films where you're thinking about the ending uh, months afterwards. Mm. You know, so it has this cumulative uh, effect. That film, um, a little bit like his, you know, his hero. I think his hero, uh, one of his big influences is Ozu, Yasujiro mm. Ozu, and I think. You can definitely have a see the link, mm. yeah, between uh, between the two. So, um, yeah, Shoplifters is one that, that that maybe at the beginning I thought also because it had got a lot of really good reviews, ecstatic reviews, and you're always a little bit mm, mm. apprehensive there. But uh, yes, yeah, so I think that's definitely one that that's that mm. stayed with me. I think. Yeah. Well, it's only recently, I mean, in the last two or three years, that I've actually started rating films. Because before that, for years, I had my, my I had a two point rating system: see <laughs> or don't see. Mm. Mm. Um, after many years, I realised there were only about of the hundreds of films I'd seen, maybe two or three that I had don't see. Mm. So, yeah. so, and I still agree with that. That basically is most films are worth seeing. And again, my problem with taste and so on, you know, why, why should I have an opinion that is of any, mm. any value? Um, but then I realised I was becoming an unhelpful system because I'd be asked things like, oh, what are your favourite films? And I'd say, well, there are 200 films you should see this year. It's like, okay, it wasn't very useful. Um, so now, uh, the last three or four years, the last three years mainly, I've just been using... IMDb's 10, mm. ten point system and I found that quite useful um, and it, it is quite useful just to remind you of, of, of what you've liked and I think the one that you know just looking at my list now the one that stood out was 
Um, and in fact, I'm not sure this actually got a um, theatrical release. Although mm. I'm no, actually, I'm not a purist like you. <laughs> well, you're a lot more organised than me in terms of <laughs> keeping a list of, of all the films. I need to do that. <laughs> but was um, it was a film shown at uh, Scottish film shown at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, and then went I think almost directly onto Netflix, and that was called Calibre mm. or. Calibre, as I <laughs> call it. Um, and a really kind of, I'd say, mid-budget Scottish film directed by um, Matt, Matt Palmer. Matt Palmer, yeah. Um, and, in fact, the, what, what hooked me in at the beginning was that um, I think the first shot or the second shot is more or less mm. around the corner from where I live in, in <laughs> over the meadows. It's like, okay, great, I'm in on this film. And I've seen a number of these kind of Scottish gothic horror Wicker Man kind of films, and this this has been probably the the most accomplished. Um, you know, the, the plot itself, you know, has its problems. I mm -hmm, think, but mm -hmm. but 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 a, but a great film and, and one that I was was a really good. Yeah, no, I'd recommend it as well. One. Absolutely, yeah, because yeah. we've put that on our introduction to European yeah. cinema yeah. course yeah. this year. Um, because like you say, I mean, although there are a few of these types of films, I think mm. it's it's quite far ahead of, of yeah, yeah, all yeah. of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, the top five, the grand top five. Should we go through that? Should we go through okay. number five for you? Yes, we can, yeah. I mean, I've got... Um, there's a, a no particular order, actually. Mm. Uh, so, I think, shall we start with... I think we've actually talked about it. The favourite, the favourite film mm. would, be, would be number five. Um, once again, unconventional period movie, uh, terrific three-hander, and um, I think it's a it's a film for those people who aren't particularly keen on period movies. So when they when they hear the the plot description, it is one of those films when you perhaps just look at the plot, you think, okay, well, uh, I'm not sure about this, but but if you go along, I mean, I think you'll. Um, uh, mm. Have your your mind yeah. changed? Mm. <laughs> We're definitely favourite. Yeah. It's, it's in my yeah. top five yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, same here. I was I was actually kind of hoping it would be more absurd mm. um, because the trailer kind of makes it look as if it was some sort of this grotesque absurd period film. And then you watch it, and there are those bits in it. But then, especially towards the end, it gets very um, dark and sort mm -hmm. of deep. And and you leave the cinema and you think, oh well, yes, I did have a laugh, but at the same time, that was very. Yeah. A very serious film, yeah. um, and just the central figure of, of Queen Anne, played brilliantly by um, by Olivia Coleman, that you have uh, this incredible tragedy, mm -hmm. and but you also have the, the 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 comic element to it as well. I mean, uh, the and of course this the the fact that she has these rabbits is kind of melding the two. There's a, there's a, there's a tragic comic element to, yeah. to to the reason why she has these uh, these rabbits that, that can roam around mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. but yes that, that, that'll de that's definitely in there Whether, yeah. again there's not a particular order I'm just giving you five <laughs> five titles yeah. and I think actually again going back to my uh, obsession with Emma Stone in that film she had the best lines as well Mm. Which I can't remember anyway. But, um, you know. Yes, and it's quite a bit early in the morning for a lot of those. Uh, there's a couple of lines we're thinking, whoa! Yeah, we yeah, had to yeah. tread carefully when we were reviewing it on uh, on the radio as to what. Because uh, I wrote I wrote down some of the lines and I thought, mm. Mm, yeah, we're not going to be able to quote <laughs> quote these. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, because the other one, I'm just looking. The the other the film that I really enjoyed was a Polish one called Mug or Face, mm. uh, which is a very strange film by. Um, I'll have to edit this into something. Uh, by Malgorzata um, Szymowska. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, that gives me a good opportunity to plug our current Screening Europe season mm. at the Film House, which is, we're doing that. It's running from January to March, and it's the Brexit edition. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and we're showing Mug as part of that, and Esther Shimor is, mm. is introducing that in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but yeah, that's at mm. Film House Edinburgh, if anybody's. Right. And Mug is a very strange film about a worker working on building the biggest statue of Jesus in the world in Poland mm. and he has an accident and has has to have a new face oh. mm. um, and has um, so has plastic surgery and has this new face and then how, how this works out it's a very strange film I've got, got, well, got me obsessed <laughs> yeah. with with uh, films about facial surgery eyes without a face eyes without a face which I just watched the other day mm-hmm. um, the 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 Japanese one the face of another oh yes um, absolutely Takahashi mm-hmm. Teshigahara Teshigahara yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's his name mm-hmm. um and seconds as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, there's loads of them. Yeah, there's going to be a, some kind of tortured article on this. <laughs> about identity and facial surgery. <laughs> and, and generally in film world, it takes about, on average, three days to survive, to go from having a full face transplant to becoming having a completely healed face. <laughs> okay, my number five is fan. Thread. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Directed by PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. Um, very, again, I think there's, there's going to be a theme you'll notice with my top five. All of them are very visually pleasing. Mm. Uh, so I'm a sucker for something that, that's got texture mm. and sort of subdued but beautiful colours. And because this was set in the 50s? 50s, yeah. Um, yes. A bit strange um, there's this sort of power play going on between um, Reynolds Woodcock and Alma his new sort of love interest and um, yeah there's just it, it's very sensual almost the, the mm. way they touch the fabric because um, Reynolds is a uh, what is he <laughs> he sews stuff <laughs> he's a seamster and a great designer um, so there's a lot of that sort of, you know, touching and, and a lot of fabric and, and that was very nice. And Alma as well is played by Vicky Creeps, who I thought gave brilliant performance. Um, and yeah. Leslie so, Manville as well as the, as yeah, the sister. Yeah, the sister. Mm-hmm. I think she's a brilliant actress. Yeah. 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 She's mm-hmm. terrific. Have you seen it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, my top five is very weak just because I haven't mm. seen that many films. I feel like what I've seen, I just and, don't... And, sorry, were you a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson? Are you generally I a don't, fan of... I don't think I've seen that many films. Uh, Punch Drunk Club. Mm. Don't even ask Boogie Nights. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the Master. The Master, the Master is fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, I really like The Master. Amy yeah. Adams, yeah. yeah. That's mm. really good. And the great film Seymour Hoffman. Mm. Yeah, 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 And Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin is in one another one of my films of the year, actually. Yeah. 
Shall we go into that one? Yes. Shall I yes. Yes. It? <laughs> well, that one is You Were Never Really Here. Mm. So this is uh, <laughs> Scottish Philly. Not, not a fan? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> uh, no, I thought that was the, the ext- extremely powerful stuff. Uh, featuring Joaquin Phoenix as this uh, war veteran uh, living in New York and he's recovering missing teenagers, missing girls, uh, most of them are working in sex trade. Uh, it's very, you're talking about texture and I think mm. Ramsey is, is quite incredible at this, going back to her f- first films, going back to, to Gas Man, a short film, and Rap Catcher, mm. and right through Marvin Caller, and uh, we need to talk about Kevin, and she is interested in in the idea of of texture on film, mm. and in, in that sense, really influenced by the, someone like Claire Denis, mm. and the idea of of, of the haptic, and mm. uh, really these great use of these disorienting close ups, getting really really close up into either skin, or, you know, the, the the body as landscape almost, mm. and. And here we have this this character, very damaged character played by uh, Joaquin Phoenix, and uh, looking well bulky. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's not quite gone to the Christian Bale uh, <laughs> degree in, in Vice, yeah. but uh, yes, absolutely. And the, the the sound design, and once again, the sound design here. Mm. The, well, the, the the score is by Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood, he did uh, Phantom Thread, I think, didn't he? Mm. He did. I'm pretty sure he did Phantom Thread. So again, very, becoming very, very prolific mm. and in demand and, and working in the... He's a Radiohead guy. Yeah, former Radiohead. Mm. Uh, former Radiohead guy. And, uh, I lots think Radiohead is still extant, isn't it? They haven't... I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah I think not it's still, former. No, it's not <laughs> current. <laughs> current. Current, current. Yeah, Radiohead. Yeah, yeah. Group member. <laughs> Musical group. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I thought I, I really enjoyed. And again, once again, one of those in the cinema, completely different experience. Mm. I would mm. think uh, this is the one that I actually also showed to my uh, foundation program. So I, I teach on the international foundation program, which is uh, a, 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 a large group of international students who come over and they do a year-long course to prepare them for undergrad study uh, here. And I do this course called Beginning Film Studies, and we have a screening every week. And this uh, this film you were never really here. I used it in the sound week, so I showed it in the in the sound week, and not thinking because a lot of them d- don't have uh, a film background as such, and um, but it, it, they they were most of them were really bowled over bowled mm. over by it, and I, I got a couple of really top quality essays on it as well. Mm. So I'm, uh, mm. <laughs> I'm glad of that. But yes, no, no, you were rev- you were never really here. Mm. Definitely gets into my. Mm. Top five. Yeah. I've heard great things about it, but I think it might be a bit scary, so I'm a bit mm. reluctant to watch it. Mm. Unsettling, definitely. <laughs> and I think you're absolutely right. Sonically, it's fantastic. Visually, it's fantastic. I just mm. thought the story was mm. absolute nonsense. <laughs> I mean, the trope of yeah. the the trafficked underage girl who happens to be the daughter... No, actually, I won't even go right. into it. So you think it, it almost could be, if you describe it in plot terms, it could almost be like a Charles Bronson movie for a bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100 films like this. And, and it's I know so what you mean. I know what you mean. and... Uh, no. But you, but you, aside from that, in fact, it's, it's based on a... On a Jonathan Ames, Jonathan Ames uh, novella, yeah. novella yeah. which yeah. so we can blame him. Uh, Lynn Ramsey is the hero. <laughs> but, you know. 
Ames is terrible. Fair enough. Another one for you then. Okay, so mine, uh, where whatever number we're on, is Solo, a Star Wars story. Yes. Mm. Yes. In direct by Ron Howard, and I really, really like that. I mean, I'm no big Star Wars fan person, um, but you know, those of the films I, I've, I've grown up with and so on, and you know, the terrible three, four, five stage, you know, Phantom Menace and all those horrific films. And the reboots have been great, I thought. Mm -hmm. And this one, particularly because it, it kind of doesn't sort of go back to any of the actors we know already, just really worked on its, on its own, I think, just, just mm -hmm. was a really good, fun film that did what it was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. um, there was nothing particularly interesting to say about it other than <laughs> it was great. Well, listen, another, another one of those films that I, ordinarily I wouldn't really, I wouldn't see because I, I really haven't kept up with the Star Wars mm. uh, franchise. Uh, but, yes, yeah, so I saw it because I had to review it and I thought it was really good as well. Mm. I mean, visually very impressive. Uh, and Touches of Blade Runner. That's it, that's know. it. I mean, you think of the, the influence of the original Blade Runner, I mean, so profound, mm. especially the the opening, mm. the opening, the, the mm. first few minutes is mm. is very reminded very very much of uh, of Blade Runner, and the the lead actor is it Aaron Reich, That's Al Alden Alden Aaron Reich, some memory you've forgotten, who was who was. Uh, I think did a, did a uh, quite a good job of, of channeling yeah. uh, Harrison Ford, I think. And then Woody Harrelson was amazing. Mm. Mm. And I was so taken by his face hair setup that I tried to copy it over Christmas <laughs> oh, really? to great derision. <laughs> so I just can't rock a moustache. Uh, uh, I, I did my best, but luckily it's gone yeah, now. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, speaking about blockbusters, have you seen or are you into the Marvel? Franchise oh, and, I saw and Avengers, Avengers, Infinity War. What did you think about that one? Um, I'm not seeing that one, no. Mm. That was the Edinburgh, partially Edinburgh set one, yeah, was it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And in fact, we had uh, Jim Stubbersfield, who was one of the, the prop masters mm. on that film, come and speak to our students mm. last year, or year before last, about yes. working on that film and working in Edinburgh. Um, but I think I, I didn't... I think I hated it when I saw it, but whenever I think about it now, I think of it fondly. Hmm. And we had a uh, Lacan in Scotland event with the kind of Lacanian psychoanalysts mm. of, of Scotland coming, and, and Callum Neal from Edinburgh Napier talked about the film really interesting in terms of kind of psychoanalytic fantasies mm. of masculinity. And so it's one of those films I think if I revisit I'll probably like it more. Right. Mm. Um, I, I think I remember just finding it quite boring. Just mm. you know when this, it's a bit like when a sex scene starts. Mm. You're going well. Can we just skip to the next bit? You know because this isn't a porn film, so you know you don't need to just carry on. And same with with the with chase scenes. You kind of think mm. okay, mm -hmm. we know we've got a chase scene. Mm -hmm. We don't really need to watch five minutes of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel with those films. They, they're there because you expect them and because you want them, you know? Um, there's a scene, well, the, the massive battle scene at the end when everyone gets together and it's, mm. it's absolutely ginormous. And I remember sitting in the cinema and <laughs> my insides were like cheering, were like, Wah! this yeah. is my face for, you know? Because you want... You're the perfect audience. Yeah, yeah. you know, because you want Thor like, storming in with his massive hammer and all that. 
and you just want to see. And how does Edinburgh hold up? I mean, is it? Uh, uh, I think we're sure. What what sections are used? Is it Waverley Station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Waverley yeah. and. And there's a bit. Coburn Street. No. Oh, I don't there's know. a bit on the Royal Mile. The I Royal think, Mile. On the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And right. I didn't even know that that was taking place in Edinburgh, and I mm. saw it, and I was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my flat. <laughs> they, they, they shot here again, I yeah. think. So, mm. so, well, definitely Jim was was in town over Christmas. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of those one of those films where it had everything you expected it to have, and it just ticked all of those boxes and went home, and it was just really exhilarating, I think. Mm-hmm. But and you actually pay for, you know, what you expect, which mm. sometimes is exactly what you need because yeah. you're paying for it as well. You're not just watching it on. On demand on your mm-hmm. on your laptop. Mm. Jane gave me a hat. <laughs> well, talking about franchises, uh, I think I mentioned earlier the the Transformers, the latest Transformers. Is a spin-off Transformers spin-off? Yeah. Uh, Bumblebee, uh, featuring Haley Steinfeld. Uh, once again, I hadn't really. I mean, I'd seen s- some of one of the Transformers. I can't really remember which one. It was directed by Michael <laughs> Bay. Uh, you know, mm. And luckily, he doesn't. <laughs> He doesn't have a hand in, in this one, so in terms of uh, d- directing. Uh, I thought this this was really good. Uh, it's um, it's got like a more kind of human story at the heart. So you have this, uh, I think, 17, 18 year old girl uh, who is actually still grief stricken. You know, she's getting over the, the the death of her father, and then she comes across the bumblebee, uh, who is this ginormous yellow robot that transforms uh, into, a, into a beetle and uh, yes and a friendship develops sounds amazing and it's set <laughs> it, it sounds amazing and, it, and it's set in uh, 1980 San Francisco shot in this really warm golden hue of course matching the colour of the <laughs> of the car mm-hmm. the soundtrack is a lot of the usual suspects the, you, you know the greatest 80s hits you know I'm sure they just ticked off all of those but there's the Spandau Ballet gold oh yes. my god I Do love that there, I think there is <laughs> I think there is oh, yeah yeah <laughs> And uh, Valerie, I think, Stevie Winwood. Oh, right. uh, but there's an, a really nice little running gag of uh, uh, on the Smiths, which I mm. thought was quite good. There's a, there's a point where she has a Smiths tape and she tries to put it in the stereo, Bumblebee stereo, and then he spits it out. <laughs> so, not a, not a Morrissey fan, yeah. uh, Bumblebee. Uh, but yes, I mean, I thought that that was that was really good. Yeah, mm. uh, Bumblebee. What about you, Kat? Give us one. Um, well, I have. <laughs> Controversially, Roma on here, oh, which um, I yeah. but I I kind of feel like I was on the fence with that one just because I didn't feel moved entirely. Like when we left the cinema again with Esther, um, we thought it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning, and it was quite. It felt quite long, and and the story wasn't sort of simple enough. I think for some people, and maybe mm. that's what why they find it a bit just not that interesting, because it is almost as if you were following somebody's life for, for a while, you know, for a moment, rather than having a simple story that has a beginning and the end and mm-hmm. kind of nowhere it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there are some very disturbing scenes. Um, the main character, what's her name? Cleo, she gives birth and it's, it's just quite unsettling. But I think, as you said, David, before, you know, that there's something... When you go into the cinema, you bring your own moods and, and this sort of own setup, and so maybe it was just me, but it really didn't touch me. It was disturbing, but I didn't leave the cinema th- 
thinking, I feel for this person. I just thought it was beautiful, but it's... Many remind me of why I don't have pets. I mean, dealing with poo, <laughs> the dog poo thing was just had flashbacks to my own youth when my parents had dogs, and that was mine. My brother's job was mm. to pick up the dog poo. I hated those Awful. dogs. <laughs> I'm sure they were, they were, they were great, <laughs> in memory, not so mm. much. Yeah, but absolutely beautiful. You kind of want to stay in that world for a bit longer, just because it's so just just beautiful. Mm. But yeah, didn't really anything further. So then, I mean, I think we've talked about most of mine already, Cold War and, mm. and so on. Yeah. But the one the, that... Sorry, okay. The, the one I wanted to mention was uh, Michelle Hazanovicius's Redoubtable. Yes, I, I um, need to catch up Which was this. released here in the UK as Redoubtable, as Goddard Mon Amour in America, mm. and as Redoubtable. In France, so, um, but this is so. So Hasanovicius was, he he directed a couple of kind of spoof spy stories, um, kind of almost. Um, what's the Mr. Bean type? You know, the, the Johnny English. Yes, Johnny English. Uh-huh. Kind of Johnny English, but for French, mm-hmm. for the French market. And then he had the big breakthrough a few years ago with the artist, the mm. black and white silent yeah. film pastiche parody or pastiche not parody, yeah. I yeah. think. And this redoubtable Godard Manamore is kind of biopic of Jean-Luc Godard's 1968 period where he'd released um, La Chinoise, his film about Maoist Chinese communism, Mm -hmm. to great disdain from the Chinese, from the French public, and in general. Mm -hmm. It was only later in the 70s that that the kind of screen crowd picked up on La Chinoise. To me, it's, it's, it's pretty unwatchable, uh, but you know, it was, it was seen as, as, as the great political film. But this Redoubtable takes the biopic format um, and really kind of, and I must say, gives Goddard a bit of a kicking. Mm. Kind of says, this pretentious Pratt who imagines that he's making these political films doesn't see his own privilege, doesn't recognize mm. just how useless his own thinking is in many ways and I think because in film studies Goddard is such an unassailable hero just to see whether or not I agree with these Mm -hmm. these criticisms they're they're pretty broad strokes Um, it was just nice to see um, somebody who obviously knows and likes Goddard films because there's there's pastiches of of his style but at the same time is at least offering a critical viewpoint on, on Goddard, and I thought that was really mm. interesting. And it's played by Louis Garrel, I think. The yeah, Louis Garrel, mm. but the standout is Stacey Martin, mm. who plays then Jean-Luc Goddard's wife, who is Anna Wierzemski. Mm. You know, she's been almost kind of phased out of Goddard's history by Anna Karenina. Mm. Anna Karina. Anna Karina. It's a whole different film. Yeah. Um, but because Wierzemski had written uh, a series of books um, in her own right and then, 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 then some autobiogra- autobiographical works and Redoubtable is based on her autobiography about this period. So fortunately it has been translated into English and my French is pretty terrible. So I haven't been able, I'd, I'd be really interested to know how much of the critique comes from Wierzemski and how much from Hazanovicius. Um, but at the same time the film is, is beautifully made um, 
and in fact introduces people to a, a, a period of film history which unless you're a, mm -hmm. a researcher in the period is pretty mm -hmm. opaque mm -hmm. so I, th I thought that was great as well and, I mean I think it was had, had a run of about two days mm -hmm. uh, in the cinema so. yeah it was at the French Film Festival last year the and, and then it ran and then it ran I mean I think literally for two or three days yeah. so, mm -hmm. um, and for me, I wanted to mention a couple of Italian titles because last year uh, I, I started as the director of the Italian Film Festival here. And um, I, so I've been working for the Italian Film Festival for years and years and years and years. Everything from uh, driving prints to doing lots of Q&As and intros and guest services, blah, blah, blah. So it was good to, to finally get my hands on it. <laughs> properly <laughs> last year and uh, so we we put together a, a, a quite a small program uh, there were but I think the the, the standout for me uh, and I think probably my favorite Italian film from last year uh, is Sicilian ghost story now this is um this is from the the, the directors that I mentioned Antonio Piazza and Fabio Grassadonia they are they are Sicilian they're both from um, Palermo I think it is and I had met I met them before, so when I, I did a, a Q and A with them at the Glasgow Film Festival a few years back, when they brought their first film Salvo uh, to the uh, to the festival, that was I mean again it's, it reminded me actually a little bit of Lynn Ramsey in that it is grounded in realism, but it does have this real kind of experimental edge to it as well. Uh, it's uh, it's this, that film is the story of. Uh, the, the kind of relationship and, and the unlikely friendship that develops between uh, a, a mafia hitman and uh, a, a blind teenage girl. So again, the, the, just a synopsis like that probably doesn't do it proper justice, uh, but I think that's that's worth seeing. So anyway, this film, Sicilian Ghost Story, that uh, that, that uh, came out in well, it was in the festival around the festival circuit in 2017, but it came out here uh, again a very limited run. Uh, for, I don't know, just a week or so. Uh, but we screened it as the opening night film at the Italian Film Festival. It's based on a true story. Uh, it's the, the story of uh, it's the kidnapping of uh, Giuseppe Di Matteo, who was the son of a mafia informant. And so he was kidnapped by the mafia because they were, they were afraid um, that his father was going to keep on um, blabbing uh, on, on the mob. And they expected him obviously to stop, but he didn't stop. And you know, I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't spoil it. But I mean, it's, uh, it is a very harrowing story. But what they do is, what they do is, rather than approach it in a in a kind of plain, kind of realist vein, a kind of documentary-like approach, they 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 view it from the perspective of the young boy's classmate, this uh, this young girl uh, called Luna. And um, so that's the, 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 the story is, is from her perspective, really. And so it does take on this, I mean, I, I know people don't like the term magic realist, but it is, it is a bit like that. And it is, it's got elements of Guillermo del Toro. A lot of people have talked about that. There are elements of that in the film. I think the fact that it, didn't, it doesn't go directly back to the event, but the, the event is viewed through uh, uh, a short story. Uh, by uh, an Italian journalist called Marco Mancasola, mm. so it's not uh, it doesn't go directly back. It go, it's filtered through this this short story called um, called the White Knight. I got the chance, as, as I mentioned, to interview them both, and they 
you know, there's certain directors that when when you when you speak to them, they're not really they don't really want to talk about their their films. Like it's up to you to watch the film. I don't need to tell you anything else. I think a great one. <laughs> there were a couple. Bellatar. I remember Bellatar came over here, and he did. Uh, I think it was Man from London. So he did a Q and A for Man from London during the film festival, and I mean, I think luckily if he said one sentence uh, at the Q and A. And he just stood there in his leather jacket, exactly the, the kind of guy you would expect. And the film was really good, but, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it didn't give us much. And, um, but, these, but these two directors, uh, Piazza and Grassadonia, uh, are, are more than willing to talk about their influences. They're very cine-literate directors. They're very, they, they told me all about the, the writing process, and uh, they, they told me how they use sound and working and, and collecting sounds for the film. And yeah. So I think Sicilian Ghost Story, if you haven't mm. seen it, I would highly recommend seeking that out. Because it does something, on, it's not your typical kind of mafia, and there are loads of these kind of mafia movies uh, uh, around, but it does something a little bit unusual, uh, you know, a little bit like The Favourite, mm -hmm. you know, in, in that respect. Yeah. 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 And then I think we have one more, so for me... <laughs> there you go. And this is a bit funny, because as I was saying before, I was watching Call Me By Your Name yesterday and mm. I did not realise that it was a 2017 release so mm. scrap that one <laughs> but I did actually put Mary Queen of Scots in my first place oh, just right. because okay. I haven't seen that yeah I mean it, it was released in 2019 um, so theoretically it's not 2018 mm -hmm. but it was I guess shot and sort of produced in 2018 and the reason I put this on my number one is because Saoirse Ronan mm had just given us the best performance I think there was last year and, and in, in years that I, I've seen. I mean, I've, I've been following her for ever since Atonement, where she's 12 or something. Mm -hmm. So from very young age. Um, so what did you think of Chesil Beach on Chesil Beach? Did you see her in that? Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's, I mean, I had reservations about the film, but I think she's really, really great in the film. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I loved her in Brooklyn and... Mm. Course. That's a great film as well. So yeah, I think just because the, the whole film is sort of driven by her performance as Queen Mary of Scots, and I think quite a few people had an issue um, with the fact that it's not entirely historically accurate, that yes. Queen Mary never met up with Queen Elizabeth yeah. in real life, da 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 da. I didn't really know anything about Queen Mary anyway, because um, it's not part of my culture or my history. Um, and honestly, I don't really care about those things when I watch a film anyway. I sort of care about does the film work as a, as a separate individual unit, as a mm. piece of art? And I think this worked brilliantly. On the big screen as well, it was kind of like a massive advert for Scotland, which worked really beautifully. The fact that it was screened in Edinburgh as well just had a different, you know, it mm. gave, gave it this atmosphere of feeling like, you, you know, this film belongs in Edinburgh because mm. quite a lot of it is taking place in Holyrood mm. Palace. So yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to compare that with the other Scottish historical film, Outlaw King, mm. or the David Mackenzie movie, with again with a non-Scottish actor disappeared playing. almost immediately. Yeah, it did. Again, it was another Netflix film, and Mackenzie's. I really like Mackenzie as a as a filmmaker. He's worked again lots of different styles. Um, Hell or High Water, the, the mm. heist movie, then a prison film starred up. Uh, but uh, yes, it's funny how they, they weren't quite back-to-back, -back, they weren't quite released back-to-back, -back, mm. but uh, around about the same time. Mm. Uh, but, but I haven't seen Mary Queen of Scots, but mm. I, I've heard all the... I mean, there are always going to be quibbles. Oh, this didn't quite happen in, in this particular and time. It's, no. And it's, a no, it's not a documentary, though. 
<laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and I find that a bit funny when... And people, I think, have the same expectation from when you're translating a book into a film and they say, oh, well, this wasn't in a book, da-da-da. And you're like, well, yes, but you have to consider that film has to work and you have hour and a half to two hours to, to make it work and it's it's not a lot and maybe what is on the page doesn't translate well on screen. Yeah, mm. yeah. But this this was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think Sersha, and I know that Sersha has been signed up for the project for about six years now, ever since mm -hmm. she was 18. Um, but I'm glad that they waited and, and they filmed it now because I feel like she's at the right age where she can sort of portray this young queen but at the same time someone who's very powerful um, and I think there were also some issues with um, some not modern twists but there were a few um, things that were very sort of updated from you know the, the real history so did you say, did you say, lol, at some point? <laughs> <laughs> because oh, I said that in the story of the they go, they use yeah. a phrase that yeah. they would never have said that in 1580. People had issue with the fact that there were black actors playing, or Asian actors playing some of the historical figures. Um, some people had an issue with the fact that... Um, She's Irish and... Well, that, yes, and the fact that Margot Robbie is yeah, Australian. Australian yes, um, yeah. And she had... Um, servant who was very close, I can't remember his name, but he was again played by a black man and also the fact that he was kind of saying that he feels more like a girl when she's with the other female servants and with the queen and the queen says well you can be whoever you want to be with us you know and I feel like quite a few people thought well that's just you ticking off a box for saying yes we're contemporary, we hear mm. you know what the mm. audience are saying and actually and I think this is something Mark Kermode said as well he didn't really mind those little things because he was so immersed in the story and what was unfolding on the screen that those little things didn't really bother him and I think it was the same for me and I ended up crying my eyes out and I love that we, we left the film and we, we just felt very emotional and, and felt like we needed half an hour to process it um, and, I, and I kind of like that you know I think there are think films like Cold War was more beautiful and in different aspects much better than Mary Queen of Scots mm -hmm. but at the same time it was almost like this blockbuster film as well that you can like eat popcorn and watch and ticks off a few boxes and, and you watch Saoirse you're quite happy you know mm -hmm. you don't need much else I think I've only got one more film to mention which wasn't the best film I saw in 2018 but what's interesting was Apostasy which was a kind of a realist drama about uh, somebody leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses and directed by Daniel Cocotillo, Cocotillo um, who, you know, this was very much his story as well, mm -hmm. that, that, his, that he'd left the, the, um, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I just thought it was a very, very nice... Um, kind of exploration of issues of belief without being, oh, look at the crazy God-botherers, mm. um, but at the same time not shying away from from issues with, with those beliefs. And, you know, I like a bit of a God-bothering film, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I had, a f I had a couple more, actually. Uh, I mean, I did mention an Italian film earlier. There, there was another Italian movie that I like called Dogman, uh, it's not another superhero movie. <laughs> it's uh, it's a downbeat crime thriller set on the outskirts of of Rome about this dog groomer, this kind of unassuming little dog groomer, in, who works in this really dilapidated area, 
and he gets involved with uh, a local criminal and yes it, uh, it all goes south it all goes south from there it's directed by Matteo Garrone who's a Roman mm-hmm. filmmaker he's probably most famous for his adaptation of Gomorrah mm-hmm. uh, from 2008 but he also, he's also done uh, historical movies Tale of Tales uh, as well and uh, oh, that was terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's my favourite of his I think he's, he's better with perhaps more contemporary films in fact he's, I think he's doing Pinocchio next so we'll see what he makes of that oh uh, <laughs> but another way I mean we're sticking on the realist front the, a film that, that I get a little, little bit under the radar and uh, this is another it's a prison movie and I know that genre is not everyone's cup of tea but uh, this it was a really visceral film. This it's called A Prayer Before Dawn, uh, which I don't know if you've heard of. It's it's based on a book by Billy Moore, who was this Liverpudlian boxer and fairly small time career criminal who was jailed uh, in Thailand uh, for for stealing a mobile phone. And the first, I mean, it doesn't entirely work the whole film, but the first maybe. I don't know, 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, I mean, it's it really throws you in to this extraordinarily brutal uh, setting uh, and really unflinching, I think, in its depiction of uh, of prison life. Uh, apparently, there's there's a statistic that one study found that every year spent in a Thai prison is equivalent to five years in a standard U.S. prison. And it's directed by uh, this New York-based French director called. Uh, Jean-Stéphane Sauver, he made this film called Johnny Mad Dog uh, about um, a, a, a coup, a military coup in an African country uh, from the perspective of child soldiers. Oh, and yeah, yeah, so I think it was 2004 that one, Johnny Mad Dog. So the, this film, Pray Before Dawn, the centre performance is by Joe Cole. You may have seen him in Peaky Blinders, he plays John Selby in Peaky Blinders. And for, for most of the first, I don't know, 45 minutes or so, very, very little dialogue. Uh, but there's a real physicality to the performance and the fact that he has to fight his way, punch his way through uh, life, grappling. And, uh, and, and of course, the fact that he's also physically very boyish, quite, quite small and slight. And the fact that he has to deal with these, these enormous tattooed, Torsos. I mean, the amount of tattooed torsos in this film is quite something. Yeah. So it's it's an uncomfortable watch. I would say the first. It's a very uncomfortable watch, but in terms of its depiction of prison life, uh, it's yeah pulls no punches. And I would recommend again seeing it. Uh, also, I mean, the the sound design again and giving us a sense of of the character's subjectivity and state of mind is also uh, excellent. So um, yeah, mm. not a comedy. Yeah, but <laughs> I presume it's Good up film. there with the uh, Thai prison scene in Bridget Jones 2. <laughs> yes, that's what it reminded me of. Edge of reason. Yes. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Okay. So thank you so much, Pasquale, for being on the podcast. Thanks for the invitation. Thank uh, you. You've been very generous, which I always like when you have someone who can just talk and talk and just... Yeah, so that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, David. Yeah. Um, Pleasure, as always. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)